I'll keep this short. I was born at a very early age in South Texas. And my wife, she was born at a pretty early age too, in Wanganui, New Zealand, actually about 30 miles up in the hills on a sheep farm. And we met in Australia 52 years ago, and she followed me home. That's my story. Anyway, she's not here today because uh, she heard about everybody quarantining and she felt like uh, maybe she better too. I think she had the virus uh, in January. Um, I did, and she had some symptoms for a day or day and a half. I had about three or four days. Uh, the first night was terrible. Uh, I had the cold chills and shakes and it was, it was bad. And then that next day I was just, I couldn't even get out of bed to go to the bathroom hardly. And then the next day wasn't so bad. And then the next day, pretty much gone. And the next day went in, got checked. Yep, had a little left and then it was gone. So I feel pretty, uh, pretty secure. Anyway, um, going back to the house sitting thing. Uh, we pastored in Wisconsin for 20 some odd years. I didn't get saved till I was 40. Now, when I was a youngster growing up with uh, two brothers and two sisters in South Texas, uh, our parents took us to a Methodist church, dropped us off for Sunday school, and came and picked us up after Sunday school. They didn't go to church because they didn't like the pastor. I can understand that. Uh, and um, anyway, uh, I guess I was maybe... 11 or 12, I figured out if I went and sat in church with my grandparents, then I could get in at the free lunch program because they always went out for lunch. Did that for a couple of years, and, and then by the time I was 14 or 15, I just stopped going. And I never entered a church again except for a funeral or a wedding. And then when I was 40 years old, my wife started going to a home Bible study and reading her Bible, and uh, I was not happy about that. But then uh, after uh, about a year or so, she talked me into it, and I went, and uh, I never said the sinner's prayer. But after uh, quite a few weeks, they had convinced me the Bible was the Word of God. And they told me that uh, if you're going to be born again, you need to speak in other tongues. They never talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They just said, a believer, once the Holy Spirit comes in, you got it. So I did. <laughs> it was that simple. But I didn't have anything taught against it. I didn't know. I never heard the if if the Methodist Church had the prayer of salvation, I never heard it. I, maybe I just wasn't listening, but uh, I didn't hear it there. Um, anyway, uh, the house sitting when we decided to retire from pastoring, um, we merged our church with another church. Our church was 
probably the size of this one, wasn't, wasn't real big, but we were a Grace Church. We came into Grace around uh, 2001, and uh, really through uh, Faith Ministries International, which is a uh, an organization of, of Grace Churches out of Denver, uh, but they were hooked up with Andrew Walmack and Jim Richards and some good Grace teachers, and um, we lost about half our congregation after that. <laughs> but then we built up a little bit, um, but never got really huge. We 125 people, the most we ever had, and that's back when we were a Word of Faith church. <laughs> when we were a Grace church, we probably averaged 60 to 70. Um, but anyway, the Grace message did change everything. And what I'm going to talk about this morning, oh, I didn't finish on the house city. So we, went out to, we retired, we went out to California to visit uh, one of our sons and our grandkids. And we drove out there and we were going to move to Nashville where we had another son and some grandkids. We had shipped a bunch of stuff to Nashville. Father-in-law in California started talking to my wife about this website on House City. Got my wife all excited about it. So they both tried to get me excited about it. And I said, wait a minute. You want me to go stay in other people's homes and look after their pets? It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Well, after a while and uh, two women doing that Chinese torture thing, I said, okay, I'll look at the website. So I looked at the website and said, oh, yeah, pretty neat. My wife said, why don't you fill out the little bio? And I said, why? We're not going to do it. Eh, so I filled it out. Well, then she came one day and said, look, there's a place in Reno. They need somebody right now for 10 days. they got to go to a funeral. Put in for it. So I did, thinking we don't have any references. They're not going to take us. Well, they took us. And while we were there, which there one popped up uh, near Calgary, Canada, and we had a good pastor friend of ours that had moved up there, and, and I thought, well, maybe it'd be good to just go up and visit him. So I put in for that, and we got that. Well, 67 house sits and six years ago, <laughs> we're still at it, and we're in Fairhope now for two months, and the uh, this is our second house. Actually, this is our fourth house sit in that area. But this is the second time at that uh, repeat at, at that place. And uh, we like the area. Um, and we've been all over the United States, uh, been from Calgary to Toronto. We were in New Zealand for five months about uh, four years ago. And then a year and a half ago, we were there for six months and I'm doing house sitting and seeing family, of course. And it kind of gets in your blood. You know, after a while, you just think, oh, it's time to move on. But uh, anyway, we're booked up through May 30th of next year. Uh, from here, we go to Huntsville for September, and then we go up to Kentucky until mid-December. And then we'll spend Christmas with the kids, and then we'll... Um, June the, or January the 4th, we go to San Antonio until May. So fly south for the winter. 
after living in Wisconsin for 40 years, we, we try not to do snow. Anyway, enough of me. <clears throat> Pastor Justin called me Friday and said, would you, would you teach on Sunday? I said, sure. We're supposed to be in season all the time. So anyway, I was sorry to hear that uh, Trinity had uh, caught uh, the COVID-19. Uh, anyway, Father, we just thank you. We thank you that that, as was prayed earlier, and we're in agreement, that that virus will be gone out of this area and out of this world in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, and we thank you, Father, that uh, even though he said he was praying over our offering, he didn't get there, so we'll pray for the offering. We just thank you for the increase in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father. And we thank you that this morning everyone will hear something they need in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Justin had told me that you guys had been teaching on, or he had been teaching on covenants and stuff. And so I decided, okay, I'll just uh, go on there too and maybe uh, disagree with some of the stuff he said or maybe give you some new stuff. Uh, and hopefully expound on things he's already. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Abrahamic covenant gave their rights and privileges because of their pedigree. They were born into it. In the Mosaic covenant, the promises became their right and inheritance because of their performance. In the new covenant, our rights and inheritance come because of our, our uh, position in Christ. So we have the pedigree, performance, position. <clears throat> Out with the old, in with the new. Not because we are born right, not because we behave right, but because we believe right. While on the cross and suspended between heaven and earth, Jesus prophesied concerning himself with the words, it is finished. And you know, I'm sure in this church to talk a lot about the finished work of Jesus Christ and what that entailed. The finished work meant that your work is over. He did it, so you don't have to. And that's where a lot of people get into accusing you of greasy grace and, you know, you've heard a lot of the expressions, which is absolutely stupid, really. The law is what's greasy. If, if you study the law, it's the thing, you know, a good example of the law is, now, whatever you're doing right now, do not think of pink elephants. Okay? That's what the law does. It draws your attention to yourself, and your shortcomings. And your shortcomings, I mean, everybody has some shortcoming somewhere. And if you don't have one today, you'll have one tomorrow. <laughs> and it's just the way it is. That's why we have to continuously renew our mind, keep ourselves on track, to keep plugged into God. 
And, and not because we have to, to get his blessings. We do it because of his blessings. We just, it's not, it, it's very easy. <laughs> and I can tell you, when I, when I first got saved, it was very much performance, very much. I had to be in my Bible for 30 minutes every morning. I had to pray in tongues for 15 to 30 minutes after that. I had to, you know, I had to, I had to, I had to, I had to. And then every time anything went haywire, I kept looking at myself. What did I do wrong? What, what can I do to correct this? Have you been there? <laughs> you know, most of us have. And every time something goes wrong, we, break, we brought our eyes back on ourselves. There's where our focus is. That's where it should be. The covenant that was cut was Jesus' blood, not yours. It was between the Father and the Son. And that's the good news. That covenant can't be broken. You cannot lose your salvation once you have attained it. Oh, that always, or not always, because once I believe that, but after I came to realize in order for me to lose my salvation, the Holy Spirit would have to pack his bags, <laughs> move out. I would have to be recreated as an old creation, lose my new creation, you know, back up everything. Well, how's that going to happen? What, God's, that blood wasn't strong enough and thick enough to hold me? And there's some confusion between Christians from Matthew 1 to Acts chapter 1, basically the four Gospels. And what that confusion is, is... They're looking at the words of Jesus. There's, there's a group of Christians that started uh, around 2005, 2006 um, that are called themselves red-letter Christians. And what they have done is they have, they have, you know, they're saved. They believe Jesus died for their sins, but they have focused on just the red-letter part of the Gospels on things Jesus said, and they said, we have to do the red letter. Well, there's a problem with that. There's another group that I ran into online called the 119, was it 119 Fellowship? No, 119ministries.com. You can go to that website. They have a map. It's got little pinpoints all over the map, all over the world of people that are into the, uh, the Hebrew roots, Christianity. And they accept the entire Bible as their covenant. That no, to them, no covenant ever ended. It's just another covenant. So they, they're, they're really, they're not Jewish by birth, but they're really uh, practicing the same thing that Messianic Jews do. Messianic Jews are saved if they accept Jesus as their Messiah, which he was, <laughs> but they still 
put themselves under the law. And then there's a lot of Christians that aren't part of the red letter Christian group and they're not part of the the Hebrew roots group, but they still think that the Ten Commandments are for today, that a lot of the Old Testament stuff is still effective to them as a new believer. Well, Romans 14 says everything written aforetime was for our learning. Yeah, it's there. It was God-breathed, but it's for our learning. I like to say it's really to help us appreciate the new covenant. But the old covenant didn't end until the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was under the old covenant. A lot of the stuff that he said, especially in the synoptic gospels, which Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a lot of what was said in there was to a Jewish audience. In fact, all of it was to a Jewish audience, but for us, it's for our learning. But are you going to pluck your eye out? Are you going to cut your hand off? You know, uh, that was just trying to tell them, you can't do the law. You need a savior. Now, when you get into John, that book is a little bit different. John starts, before that, those other synoptic gospels all talked about the son of man when they were referring to Jesus. You get into John, and John talks about the Son of God. And he starts relating. In fact, remember in that prayer in John 17 when he says that they be one as we are one and one with us and you know, all that? <clears throat> John was starting to, 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 to shed more light on the love and the grace of God. He was still writing to that audience, same audience, but helping to transition over. Now, after that transition, or at the transition, the knowledge of good and evil, that tree that was in the garden, it was nailed on the cross to the tree of life. Ended, over with. And that's what the law was, was the knowledge of good and evil. See, the law showed you the difference of good and evil. The law was there to expose the wrongdoings of mankind. The tree of life, that blood, cleansed all of that from mankind so that mankind could now walk in the freedom and the liberty, the law of, of the freedom of Christ Jesus, the law of liberty in Christ Jesus, is we, where we can live sinless, righteous, sanctified, holy. And I had somebody walk out of our church because I said, and perfect. 
But that's what the Bible says. We have been perfected in Christ Jesus. As he is, so are we in this world. Well, what is he? <laughs> Righteous, sanctified, holy, worthy. I didn't say that the first time, worthy. But that's the other thing, when you take communion. That was always a guilt trip for me before I got into grace. It says, do this in remembrance of me. Well, we always did it, do this in remember of your sins. <laughs> so you could, we had to get right with God before we could take communion. So we always had a moment of silence so that we could confess our sins and get right with God. Then we could take communion. You know, back before we uh, went to Rama, uh to Bible college, uh, we attended an Assemblies of God church for uh, about five years. And um, in that church, <clears throat> they, while we were there, they, they had bought a, a, a they've been in a building that they've been since 1930. And the congregation had gotten, they had gotten a new pastor and they were up to about 150 and they went they had in two services because of seating. And so they wanted a bigger building. So they, they bought a, an abandoned uh, grocery store. One of these, uh, you know, had the glass in the front, freestanding, like a lot of the old grocery stores. And it was like 28,000 square feet. And... 10,000 of that square feet were a dental clinic, and it was just divided just straight from the front to the back, just a wall. And so they bought the building, and, and the dental clinic had another few years on their lease. The other side was pretty vacant. And uh, anyway, we built a new church in there. Well, I could not serve communion in that church because I, I was married and divorced in college at the University of Texas. And I met the girl in September. We got married in February. We broke up in, in, in April, and the divorce was finally July. I call it a legal shack-up. Um, and we're Facebook friends today, and my wife knows it. We don't have a lot of conversation, but we check up on each other and stuff. I mean, she's, I was just a little messed up. But it was my fault. But anyway, I could not serve communion in that church because I had been the husband of more than one wife. Now, it was only one at a time. But, <laughs> but they needed somebody when they built bought this building to do the architectural plans and to be to head up the the um, um, the building committee, and so they let me do that. Although I still couldn't, and I couldn't be on the board, but I spent more money of that church's revenue than any one person alive. But I couldn't be on the board, and I couldn't serve communion because of my past. My past, God did not hold against me. Man did. 
And see, we need, to, we need to learn a few lessons in our personal life about a lot of the things that we hold on to. Now, that verse, one of the verses back there in the Gospels, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. No, no, that was part of Jesus' teaching on the law. But for us, we have been forgiven. Past, present, future. 2,000 years ago, that blood was shed, that covenant was made, those sins were forgiven. Past, present, future. Sin is not a problem with God in our relationship. Sin could be a problem in our personal lives, if I do something stupid around my wife, I usually get stupid results. <laughs> Not that I ever do. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyway, we have been set so free, and we live so far from it most of the time. Because we, we tend to live in this world, we see things going on around us, and we see things that we don't agree with, we think they're wrong, we look at, and so we transpose a lot of that, and then we look at our own lives and do the same thing. And what we have to understand is, we have a God that promised to never leave or forsake us. Never leave or forsake us. That, that's, that's a biggie. You know, I used to pray about making decisions and praying, God, I, wanted, I want to make sure I stay in the will of God and I want to make sure I, I do the right thing. And You know, he says he'll give you the desires of your heart. If you've been praying about something, trying to make a decision, whatever, and it stays on your heart, you probably ought to go for it. And I wouldn't worry about it. He's going to go with you. <laughs> he promised to never leave or forsake you. Just stay plugged in. You know, you may take the fork in the road <laughs> here, but there may be another fork up here. You stay plugged into him. Give, you know, gives, gives you, he gives us opportunity. And the last touchdown or the, the past touchdown is not necessarily the last touchdown. The game's not over. I lived 90 miles from Lambeau Field for 40 years, home of the Green Bay Packers. I used to tell people, I still do occasionally, I say, if you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you die, you'll go to Lambeau Field. I usually tell that to Viking, Lion, and Bear fans. Because <laughs> they're in our division. Anyway, hallelujah. I want to tell you a story to try to put it into perspective of God's forgiveness and why we don't have to worry about 
um, not feeling worthy. For instance, if you're going to be praying for somebody, say you're going to pray for their healing, you're going to pray for, or you're praying for yourself or whatever, and you think, well, I need to get right with God first. I, I want this story, I want, to, I want to just tell you, God is bigger than that. He's already taken care of your boo-boos. He tells us to pray for the sick. He tells us to submit our requests to him. We don't have to worry about that. In a faraway place in north central Wisconsin, there was this pastor. He looked very much like me. And um, he was married to the same woman I am. And it was right before Christmas, and his son and daughter-in-law were there in town, his youngest son, and they were going to her folks for Christmas in Alaska, Sitka, Alaska. And they had this cat, and they, they said to the, this pastor, said, would you take care of our cat? We're going to be gone for about three weeks. And we need you to go over and empty the, the goodie box and, and uh, feed the cat and water it and just make sure it's okay. So the pastor did that and the pastor's wife. And after about a week or so, Go in the house. Okay, did I say we? Yeah, okay, okay, it's out. We'd go in, I'd go in the house, and the poor cat would just start rubbing up against my legs as I'm, you know, walking over to do what I need to do. Just very lonely. I called my son, and I said, you know, I know your kids ignore the cat now. When it was a kitten, yeah, they played with it all the time, but now they just ignore it. How about while you're gone, I saw there, there's a place uh, here in town that adopts cats out. How about I take that cat in and get it adopted out to a family that will appreciate it? And he said, good idea. So I did that. I called the people. And they said, well, we have a 35-cat wait list. I went, oh, jeez. So I thought, I will take this cat to the Humane Society. So I called them, and uh, they said, yeah, we can take the cat. They said, uh, it's not your cat, right? And I said, no, not my cat. Is it a stray? Lie number one. Yes. Don't judge me. They said, have you taken around the neighbors to see if it belongs to any of the neighbors? Yes. Bring it on out. So I took it out, handed them the cat, I had to fill out some forms, basically the same questions plus some others. So there's lie number three, four, five, six. I left. I was pulling out of the parking lot, and I was feeling bad. So I called my wife, and I said, this isn't right. I, I feel really bad about lying about this cat. And she said, well, then take it back. So I turned around, 
I went back. I said, can I have the cat back? They said, we can't give it to you. I said, why? Well, it's not your cat. And we have to keep it seven days to, for the owner to have a chance to claim it. I said, oh, okay. So I can pick it up in seven days? They said, sure. It'll cost you $90. <laughs> I said, $90? They said, yeah, well, we have to inoculate it and, you know, do whatever. I said, oh, okay. So I turned around and I left. That was a Thursday, right before the weekend before Christmas. Well, the week, the Sunday before Christmas, at 12 o'clock, we had a deli that delivered turkey and dressing, spiral ham, you know, all the Christmas dinner. We always had a full house. All of our people would be there to eat. They'd bring a lot of their friends and family and whatever, and we'd have Christmas dinner. <clears throat> so that Sunday morning, I was in the lobby, and I was the first one there. And the first couple that walked in the door helped out with setting things up. And she walked straight over to me. Her name was Gloria. And she said, so you lied about your son's cat. I went, my life just kind of flashed before my eyes. And I said, Gloria, where, where did you hear about that? And she said, well, she said, my daughter works at the Humane Society. And evidently your cat had a chip. So they called your son in Alaska. <laughs> I went, oh, God, Gloria, I feel so bad. I, I was going to go back and get the cat, and they wouldn't give it to me. And I'm going to do that, but i got to wait the seven days. And she said, well, yeah, well, guess what? I said, what? And I said, she said, my daughter and her boss are coming to church this morning. I went, oh, God. Be sure your sin will find you out. But see, for a moment there, I was forgetting the new covenant. <laughs> I was looking at the natural that, you know, okay, there are repercussions <laughs> in this world. And so I get up to give the Christmas message on Christmas morning to these people. And I don't know who's who in, in a lot of the cases because there's other family members and friends and stuff that came to eat. And I didn't know which one were these ladies. But then afterwards, when they pull out the tables and everything set up to eat, you can look in the tables and the kind of, you know, family units. And, and uh, I kind of figured out who the two ladies were, and I thought, well, I'll wait until they finish eating, and uh, then I'll uh, go over and talk to them. So I went over there, and, you know... <clears throat> When you've been married a little over 50 years, you learn how to, <clears throat> I think the word is grovel. <laughs> so I maintained the position, and I went over there, and I got on, got on my knees between those two ladies and started groveling. And they started laughing. 
And I thought, oh, my God. And then they stopped and they said, we just wanted to see the look on your face. Don't worry about the cat. We'll adopt it out. It's, everything's, everything's fine. But it said, everybody in, in the Humane Society had a good laugh over this. And I thought, <clears throat> I'm never going back to that place again. <laughs> but I told you all of that to tell you this. That was Christmas. A few weeks later, I was leaving church, getting ready to leave church, and the Packers were kicking off at noon. And this was about noon. I wanted to get, it was a playoff game, because it's in January now. And I wanted to see that game. I told my, usually after church, we go out to eat with some folks, and I told my wife, I said, well, you going out and eat. I'm going home, watch this game. So on the way home, I get a phone call. And it's a gal named Amy, and she's from Michigan. And she's a kindergarten teacher, a first grade teacher, sorry. And she tells me that the kindergarten teacher in the room next to her, husband was up in the upper peninsula of Michigan bear hunting and had fallen out of a tree. And they had flown him to Wausau Hospital. And um, he's been in a coma for about four days. And um, Stephanie, the, her, uh, the, the, the wife of the guy that fell out of the tree, um, is there with him. And could you go over there and see if you can be of assistance and maybe pray for him? And I said, why would you find me? She said, well, I found, I went on the internet looking for a spirit-filled church, um, you know, in that area, and I found you. <clears throat> I said, sure, I'll go over there. So I did what Jesus would do. I drove on home, and I watched the Packer game. Don't judge me. <laughs> and I, I figured he'd been in a coma four days. What's a few more hours? <laughs> Man, I'm... Okay, I'm bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, after the game, I went to the hospital. And the ICU is kind of a horseshoe shaped, or a U, a letter U. And you come in kind of right here. And the nurse's station's right there in the middle. And I came in, asked what room he was in. They said, well, he's the last one on the left. So I ran to the corner, walked. And when I walk in there, I could see in the door. And I could see, see him in the bed with all these tubes and stuff. And so I, I walked in, and his wife was there. And his turned out his parents had flown in. And I visited with him for a while. I told Stephanie that Amy had called me and was here, and can I help you, and you know, normal niceties. And we visited for a while, and he was a, probably in his mid-30s. They had two little girls who weren't there, but um, a heck of a specimen of a guy. I mean, just looked very healthy, robust, everything, but he was in a coma. And so just before I left, I said, can I be mind if I pray for him? And the wife said, please. The parents didn't say anything. 
I went over there and I laid hands on him and I commanded that body to come into wholeness and, you know, just went through that old Pentecostal thing. I could hear the parents hit the back wall. <laughs> but that wife was right there with me. And I got through <clears throat> and I said, I'll come back tomorrow and check, check with you. So I left. The next morning, I went over there and I came in and as I rounded that corner and looked in there, I looked and I could see that bed and it was all made up and nobody was in it. And I got this knot in my chest. I went, oh, God. The poor family. And as I came through the door, he was sitting in a chair and his wife was reading to him. And it was so miraculous, they discharged him the next day. And I told you to let you know what I did two weeks earlier would have caused and did cause but not in, not in the throne room of God <laughs> condemnation judgment and whatever I was putting on myself even though I was a grace pastor I was still feeling like a heel because in the world's eyes I lied about a cat But in God's eyes, all I did was did the word. I went over there and I prayed. Didn't matter about the cat. Didn't matter about the Packer game, you know, not going right away. I went and I prayed for the Ghanaian. God honors his word. He's taking care of our shortcomings. He wants us to make disciples, to pray for the sick, to do the things that we've been called to do. You know what they say? What did Jesus do? We do what he did for kingdom living, not for Old Testament examples. For kingdom living. More of what John was describing when he was making that turn into the son of God because now we are sons of God. Because, like I said, as the, First John said, as he is, so are we in this world. We got to get that in our little mind. We have been completely cleansed. The blood is thick enough to hold all of us. <laughs> in righteousness, worthy, right standing with God, holy, perfect. That's who you are. What he was, you became in this world. That's awesome. We got to get that through our little stinking thinking. Renew our minds. You know, you renew your mind, you Shake the dust off. Shake the lies off. Shake the condemnation off. The accusations. The guilt. It's been taken care of. Father, we thank you. We thank you that it has been taken care of. We thank you, Father, that you're not holding anything against us. You told us in your word 
that you threw our sin as far as the east is from the west and will remember it no more. So when we confess our sin to you, in essence, you're saying, what sin? Of course you know, but you have thrown the guilt away. And Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs>